This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting The Report, a riveting film that critics are raving is thrilling with razor-sharp dialogue and a perfect cast. Starring Adam Driver, Annette Bening, and John Hamm. In theaters November 15th. From LA Times Studios, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, where culture and entertainment meet. The movie Parasite is poised to be South Korea's first ever nomination for Best International Feature, but it also looks to be competitive for Best Director, Original Screenplay, and even Best Picture. Rave reviews have poured in for the darkly comedic drama about social inequality, with some critics calling it director Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece. The much-anticipated film is out now in limited release, and we'll discuss this unnerving thriller in just a few minutes. But first, this news. History was made this past week as Tyler Perry officially marked the opening of his new $250 million studio in Atlanta, the first major film studio in the country owned outright by an African-American. The 330-acre Tyler Perry Studios is on the grounds of a former U.S. Army base, Fort McPherson, and in a touch of poetic justice, the site also served as a Confederate Army base during the Civil War. Joining me now to discuss this milestone is my colleague Greg Braxton, who was in Atlanta for the gala opening. Greg covers television and cultural issues in the entertainment field. Greg, thank you so much for being here. Now, just tell me, what was it like? Did it feel like an exciting event to be there? It was truly what I would call a history-making moment, not only because of the event, the actual dedication of the studio and really Black Hollywood, seeing what Tyler has done, but also the collection of talent that was there. It was about close to 700 people, a lot of major names, even from the political world. Bill Clinton and his wife were there. And then from Black Hollywood, you just had Beyonce and Jay-Z, Oprah, Whoopi, Samuel L. Jackson, Denzel, and just everywhere you looked, there was somebody who was famous. You know, it was sort of like the Academy Awards times 10. It was sort of impressive to see Black Hollywood really come together to support Tyler and what he's done. And now, talk a bit more about what exactly he has done. What is it about the opening of this film studio that struck Black Hollywood as being so important? I think what he's done is establish a base where not only he can do his work, but where everyone, you know, Atlanta has such a booming film industry. And now he has facilities that can accommodate everything. There's lush greenery. In addition to the sound stages, there's lakes, there's he's planning to build a highway around it to film, I guess, car chases and, and street scenes. Everything that you could possibly want in a film studio, he seems to have on this base. So mainstream Hollywood can come there and rent out whatever they want. And I think other smaller productions can do that, too. Black Panther has shot on the studio. I think The Walking Dead shoots there right, as well. Right, First but, Man shot there. A lot of things have already shot there. So the actual studio has been in operation for about two years or so, but the sound stages are really the main thing. And the sound stages are massive. 
he did not spare money in developing these things. The warehouses are huge. Now, I remember you going down there a couple of years ago now right. to visit with Tyler Perry and to sort of tour the grounds. So when you were back there this weekend, what's new? Tell me about these sound stages and the dedications that they did to them. The dedication itself was very theatrical because Tyler, yeah. before the dedication, gave a speech in one of the sound stages, and there was a film that played on the walls that sort of showed his evolution from his rather humble beginnings as a filmmaker to breaking the ground on the studio to what he is now. Jennifer Hudson, at the conclusion of this, sang the impossible dream on the stage as she reached her climactic notes. These double doors opened behind her, and that led to the avenue of sound stages that stretched, I would say, about a quarter to half a mile. There were lights, there were fireworks, and it was just a really impressive opening and very theatrical. As the crowd filed down the avenue, each soundstage was dedicated. There was a little platform where people, the honorees like Denzel Washington, Halle Berry, Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah would stand in front of the stage, a uh, large screen on the side of the stage showed their clips, and then the covering of the names were unveiled. And so it was a very, very impressive presentation. And like I said, I think to have that witnessed by so many in Black Hollywood was very significant. And now you mentioned to me that among the dedications, there's a Spike Lee soundstage. Spike Lee was there, and he has in the past been critical of Tyler Perry and Tyler Perry's Medea character. What do you think that meant to have a soundstage dedicated to Spike and to have Spike actually be there supporting Tyler Perry? It was one of the more curious moments, and it was kind of a surprise to me, considering what Spike has said in the past. So when that actually happened... I was a little surprised, but Spike was obviously very touched and very excited to have a soundstage named after him. I think a couple of years ago, he and Tyler may have had some conversation where they came to an understanding about what Tyler tries to accomplish in his movies and what the Medea character means and the connection that Tyler has to his audience. But I think to not honor Spike in this setting would have been kind of obvious. So I think that Tyler took the higher ground in this case. Because regardless of how one may feel critically or artistically about the movies that Tyler Perry makes, the shows that he produces, in some ways, do you think that this achievement, him having built and to own this studio, do you think this will be his greatest achievement? This will be something that will stand the test of time. Just think of Walt Disney Studios. Just think of Warner Brothers Studios. Just think of Paramount Studios. This is a black Paramount Studios. This will live on and on and on. Tyler Perry is obviously a very popular filmmaker. He produces a lot of content. A lot of that content is not necessarily accepted by mainstream Hollywood, but he has such a huge, loyal fan base that will support everything that he does. They love Medea. They love the messages that he has. So his art already has a huge audience, but the studio, I think, has to be his most major achievement. And the fact that he did this without partners, without a corporation, this is his baby. The studio was once a Confederate army base, and I want you to hear this, which meant that there was Confederate soldiers on that base plotting and planning on how to keep 3.9 million Negroes enslaved. Now that land is owned by one Negro. Nobody else can tell him what to do. This is something that will live on in history. And I just think that puts him in, in really the top rank of 
iconic African-American entertainers. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us and letting us know what it's like to be there. Greg Braxton, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, Mark. And now we're going to move it along to the Glenn Whip Awards Minute. Glenn, thank you for joining us as always. Hey, Mark. And now two movies opened this past weekend that both I think might have an impact on the best actor race. Warner Brothers has positioned Joker for award season, very much looking to get Joaquin into the best actor conversation. He's been doing some interviews. He made some appearances at some screenings of the movie. How do you feel about where he sits now, given the fact that the movie is so dark and that Joaquin himself can be an unusual personality within the <laughs> landscape of award season. Yeah, I love those uh, reports of his appearances at Alamo Drafthouse downtown, where he's getting up and doing a little performance dance like Joker does in the movie. Very Joaquin. He brings a Joker-like presence to the awards circuit. You never know what he's going to do. He doesn't take this stuff seriously, I don't think. Warner Brothers does, and I think they have good reason to be optimistic about his chances. Now, I mean, they had the Academy screenings at the Goldwyn Theater. It's about a thousand-seat theater there in Beverly Hills, and it was about mm, three-quarters, Phil, maybe not quite that much. And the reactions are kind of like the reactions of any other Joker screen, just all over the map. Some people hailing it as a masterpiece and very daring, provocative. Others just like comic book movie, kind of tiresome. But it does seem like the one thing that people will agree upon is the intensity of the Joaquin Phoenix performance, the commitment. And, you know, Oscar nominations are voted on by branches, and the actor's branch likes big performances. And this is like the most acting. And I think that makes him kind of a sure thing for a Best Actor nomination. I know also the film Pain and Glory, written and directed by Pedro Almodovar, also opened recently. In that film, Antonio Banderas won Best Actor when the film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year. It's a foreign language performance. But it's from a star that has a lot of goodwill and credibility here in Hollywood. What do you think of that performance and the chances for Banderas of getting a nomination? Well, I mean, you couldn't have a more opposite type of film, more opposite type of performance than we're talking about with Joaquin Phoenix. Banderas is playing this aging film director. He's dealing with a lot of uh, physical issues. That's the pain in the title. He's dealing with depression. He's dealing with sort of a creative inertia. And so it's a very quiet performance, very understated, very controlled. There's a real range of emotions in this performance, I think, particularly in the scenes with his aging mother later in the movie. It'll be interesting. I mean, Almodovar's movies have played really well with Oscar voters over the years. This movie is certainly a real return to form for him. It's his most critically acclaimed film, I think, in the last several years. And now Banderas himself suffered a heart attack about two years ago now. And I, I interviewed him in mm. Toronto at the film festival recently, and it's something he's very open about talking about. I mean, like, I didn't bring it up. He brought mm. it up. And it 
feels like it sort of plays into the part that he has in, mm-hmm. in the movie. He's when he talks about it, he speaks about how it has really reoriented a lot of priorities for him in his life. Do you see something like that? You know, that kind of a narrative building around Banderas. Do you see that as being a positive for him with regards to his Oscar chances? Sure. Yeah, I, I read your piece and it's, it was a great interview. You know, and again, I was talking earlier about what actors branch voters respond to. Big performances, yes. But they also respond to the story of an actor like Antonio Banderas, who's been grinding it out, never nominated for an Oscar. He's been a star for 30 years. And this is his movie. You know, this is his best acting performance of his career. And I think that voters kind of look at that as somebody who's been around the block, who's paid his dues, and now we have a chance to honor him. Let's let's take that opportunity. And so we'll keep an eye out for how things develop, both for Antonio Banderas with Pain and Glory and for Joaquin Phoenix with Joker as the season rolls along. We have a lot of weeks still ahead of us. So, Glenn, thanks as always for being here. Thank you, Mark. And now it's time for us to move on to talking about Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Joining me now is film critic Justin Chang and film reporter Jen Yamato. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Jen, you always do a much better job than I do of succinctly no. like um, summarizing a movie. So especially with Parasite, this movie is a challenge because it's hard to know what you can and can't reveal right, without right. spoiling the movie. How would you describe Parasite to Here's someone? Here's simply what I would say. Parasite is about a poor family that ingratiates itself into the lives of a wealthy family. And it goes crazy. There are crazy twists and turns, things you don't expect. That's really all I would tell people it's about plot-wise. And now, Justin, you saw the film first at the Cannes Film Festival, where it won the Palme d'Or, the top prize there. Bong Joon-ho is the first Korean director to win that prize there. And at the time, you said it was the angriest, most confrontational thing that you saw in the competition. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to be there when the movie first came out, because it really has exploded and been building momentum all through the year. What was it like to be there when it first screened? It was so exciting. I think Bong Joon-ho is one of those directors who has never made a bad movie, really. I think it's true. I don't like love all his movies, but I think he's made only really good films. It was very touching for me because my first can, 2006, was the first time I ever saw a Bong Joon-ho movie. It was The Host, his smash monster movie, and still is one of my favorites of his. I went on a whim. Just It wasn't in the competition. It was playing outside the main festival. And I saw it. And it was the best thing I saw at Cannes that year. And so it's very touching, like 13 or 14 years later, to see him come take the festival by storm with a movie that is his return to Korean filmmaking after two English-language thrillers, Snowpiercer and Okja. It's funny, speaking about spoilers, two movies at Cannes this year both were prefaced by notes from their director saying, please do not give away spoilers. It was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite, both of which premiered the same day. And it was interesting because, as I like the Tarantino film very much, but I remember in Cannes it was really interesting because the reaction was respectful, mixed, mostly positive. And then Parasite came along a few hours later, and everyone was like, whoa. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting The Aeronauts, starring Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne, a suspenseful and visually stunning film that critics are calling a feast for the eyes from beginning to end, in theaters December 6th. 
What is it about Parasite in particular that you think people are really responding to? Even more than Bong's attempts at international features with Snowpiercer and Okja, it seems like the movie that really is reaching potentially his strongest crossover audience is in fact this return to making a movie in Korea in the Korean language. And not just a crossover audience, but at home in Korea, it is a huge hit already. Huge hit in Korea, in France. It's really exciting. It's kind of a great thing to know. I mean, I hope it does really well here, but it's, it is the suggestion like you don't even need the U.S. box office yet to know that this movie, the impact that this movie has been having. I like Snowpiercer. I like Okja, but Parasite is on another level for me. And I think that he is one of the few directors of any culture who has gone Hollywood or gone international and proved he could make, I think, pretty good movies and really interesting movies. But there is this sense of this homecoming with Parasite. And I love that it's like he's making a movie in his own culture, his own tongue. It brings together what he's always done, which is genre and politics. I think it synthesizes those things as brilliantly as he's ever synthesized those two things. And watching this movie, I will just say, because it's so scaled down, it's about these families. And it's the intimacy of scale that he achieves, I think, allows him to really be in control of every moment. And there's a point in the middle of this movie where it's just, it becomes, I've been saying, it's the best heist thriller I've seen in a while. It plays like a domestic heist movie. And you feel like you're watching a master conductor just conducting this symphony. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And yet, even though it's been constructed with this Swiss watch-like precision, there's so much life and there's so much character and this movie has a huge cast led by Song Kang-ho, his usual muse who is in The Host and other movies. And every actor registers. And he's such an economical storyteller that even though it's not a single character study, you feel like you get to know everyone. Every character is hinting at this extra, this inner life. Everyone is more vulnerable than they seem. And yet they're all at the mercy of this plot that is just driving them inexorably toward this, I won't say more, but... And I think I, it's wonderful. I also think that because of that, because he gives us an empathetic window into not just the protagonists, but everybody in this world, you get this larger sense of what he's hinting at thematically. And I think that's also what helps it cross over to cultures outside of Korea is that it is working within genre. It definitely dances in those terrains, but it is also about class friction in a way that I think anybody can really feel and recognize. Our colleague Josh Rottenberg recently wrote a terrific piece about the fact that there's this whole trend of movies this fall, also Hustlers, Joker, Knives Out, a few others, dealing with these issues of income inequality. And for whatever reason, it seems like Parasite just crystallizes a lot of those themes and ideas as much or more so than those other films do. Do you have a sense of what's drawing him back to those themes? I feel like... He's one of those directors whose sensibility I know, his political sensibility I know through his movies with The Host, which, and it's interesting, The Host and Parasite, the titles are linked, you know, even though they're about very different things, these movies are speaking to each other. So his sympathies, I think, have always just been with the underclass. There's always been this dimension to his films. I think what makes this one so universally accessible, relatable, is that it's about something we all can find our place in, the spectrum of rich and poor. It's not a fantastical movie. It's a genre movie, but there are not sci-fi or supernatural elements or anything. It's not a futuristic movie. It's not science fiction. It is about this theme, which, as you say, Mark, has been resonating clearly with a lot of filmmakers like Lorraine Scafaria and Ryan Johnson and other directors as well. Jen, you, you recently interviewed Bong and you also moderated a 
Q&A when the film played here in Los Angeles at, at Beyond Fest. What does he say when he speaks about the movie? He has said this frequently, but the idea for Parasite, the movie, has been gestating in his mind, as he says all of his films do, for quite a long time. He got the idea or the seeds of the idea, he says, when he was finishing post on Snowpiercer. And so even if you compare Snowpiercer to Parasite and the overlapping Venn diagram of concerns that those two movies have, I think you can see a connection as well. And so I don't think it's an accident that he became taken with this idea of telling this parasite story while finishing Snowpiercer. Very, very different movies, different genres even. Parasite is not sci-fi, for example, and there's a real tragic strain that runs through it as well. But I thought that was interesting that he takes his time to develop his ideas. He writes them out. He meticulously storyboards all of his films. And I think every part of his process has been just really delightful as a film nerd to learn about, you know? So I'm really excited that he's in this conversation now, that that he's in the awards conversation, that people are proudly wearing bong door shirts <laughs> celebrating his can win. Because as a filmmaker, I feel like he's not only one of the most empathetic filmmakers that we have currently working in which he cares about society and he reflects society and, and, and the human condition in his films in a way that is, I think, more consistent than maybe any other filmmaker working today. But the way that he works is also just captivating to learn about. Justin, to what extent do you think for a filmmaker like Bong, does his own film nerdery play into his success in that people like the three of us <laughs> we know that guy, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's it's easier for journalists to sort of like understand and vibe with someone. He's a great Q&A. He's a great interview. To what extent do you think that that's helping him along as he's, you know, been gaining attention with Parasite? I mean, it's interesting because he is somebody who is rightly beloved on the international festival circuit among film journalists who know his work. But I think a lot of that is tied to the fact that he unites the cinephilia that he has, and he's a great, great filmmaker. He makes really accessible, popular, smart, popular entertainment. You know, when The Host came out, became the sensation and really launched him, although he had already made some terrific movies, like including um, Memories of Murder, which oh, so good. might still be his masterpiece. Yeah. He was hailed as the next Spielberg. And I think, frankly, he's setting his own bar now. He's no, I mean, that, that comparison is very flattering. I think Bong Joon-ho is someone we'll be calling, oh, who's the next Bong Joon-ho a few years from now. Speaking of film geekery and what Jen was saying, it's because I, I I got to interview him around the time of Okja, and, and he said a little bit about, oh, this little movie he's working on called Parasite. This little film, this weird <laughs> little film, he called it. But he's really interested, I think, in human villains. And that, I think armors his movies against, you know, sentimentality, even though they're incredibly moving, too. I mean, I find Parasite as funny and as thrilling as it is. I've seen it three times now. I find it devastating by the end. I mean, it kind of comes out of nowhere, even when you know where it's going. Well, and you mentioned Memories of Murder, his film from 2003, which it's such a good movie. It's been compared to Zodiac for obvious reasons. It was based on an unsolved series of serial killings in Korea that he basically depicted in this film, uh, Memories of Murder. In the final shot, his muse and collaborator, Song Kang-ho, who stars in Parasite, he turns to the camera and gazes into the audience as if searching for the killer. And in real life, that killer was not identified until, until 
last month. I asked director Bong how he felt about it, and he had just heard the news recently at the time. He was really overwhelmed. He wanted to defer to the reactions of the loved ones of the actual victims and the investigators who spent so long trying to find this killer. But I think that was a really interesting thing to witness during Bong's tour with Parasite here is this echo of impact that his previous movie had culturally and even internationally bringing awareness to this this search. I know I'm sure this is a little tricky since we're trying to be respectful of spoilers while we're having this conversation. But one of the things that I think is most remarkable about Parasite is the way the movie constantly reorients itself. It shifts and you realize the characters you were thinking of as the protagonist suddenly take on the cast of a villain. You're suddenly seeing people who were villainous as more sympathetic. And then there will be new characters emerging that are even more surprising. And Justin, do you find that that is that one of the things that you like about the movie is how surprising and unpredictable it is as it's unfolding? Absolutely. I mean, he is such a master of moving parts. I come back to this word control because I think he's just such in such control of the material. But in a way that, you know, some filmmakers who are very controlling, it kind of sucks the life out of the movie and you feel like you are watching this very airless construction. And yet he has this control, but he also lets his characters be themselves. And they're complex. It's an eat the rich movie, but it's also that empathy that Jen's talking about. It's really there. And as far as, yeah, just the way it shifts, I mean, he's just always been great at that. His movies keep mutating. And in this movie, the ground just keeps shifting under their feet, literally as well as figuratively sometimes. I won't say more. But it's always resetting. You think you're watching one family sort of turn the tables on another, but then the tables turn on them and the tables turn on. It just keeps and your point of empathy keep getting manipulated in a way that is very Hitchcockian to me as well. But now, also one thing that I think is really terrific about Parasite and is part of the reason why I think it stands a great chance to play well two audiences here in America, is the opening scene of the movie is largely concerned with a family of people attempting to get a Wi-Fi signal. And Relatable. It was, exactly. Every person in the room immediately related to that dilemma and also the way he makes kind of a physical farce out of it was something that I think everybody there could relate to. And so, again, I think that this movie in particular, even though it is very specific, very much set in Korea, there's so much in it that I think audiences here in Los Angeles or all around America are still going to be able to relate to and understand. There's something about it, too. It's funny. Watching it again... It's interesting to see how even like in the Park household, there's all these sort of Western pretensions that are kind of on display. It's like that magazine article showing Mr. Park, who's this tech CEO, and his name is Nathan Park, although that's his Westernized name. And the wife is constantly littering her speech with Americanisms like, you know what I mean? And yet at the same time, there's this North south kind of commentary too i mean it's funny you could almost see it as a commentary and if we're talking about class and we're talking about the very rich kind of wealthy cosmopolitan family versus the lowly underclass there is plot elements of the film that hint that kind of beckon at the north south korean conflict there's just so much to unpack in the movie and it is just completely accessible to anyone i think watching it But if you look deeper, it's so rooted in its milieu as well. Obviously, the movie's just opening, so it's kind of just getting to audiences here in the U.S. Jen, what do you think it says about the Academy or kind of where we are in film culture right now that a movie like Parasite stands to compete more broadly? It's not just going to be boxed into the international feature category. Well, I actually don't think it says that much about the actual Academy. 
I really think that now this conversation is more coming off of the major film festivals and growing from film critics seeing more of the landscape of what should be or can be in play for awards. And that's what I'm really excited about is seeing so many people rightfully put Parasite at the top of their lists. I think we should be talking more about it and about Director Bong for not just the Oscar formerly known as the best foreign Oscar, but for best picture, screenplay and director in the main categories. That's what I would like to see. And I I think the Roma of it all opened the door. What do you think, Justin? I think so. I mean, you know, Roma and of course, there have been other international films that have managed to crack the category, but not every year. And you haven't seen nearly as many as you should. Roma's a deserved exception to that. The director's branch, of course, is the most consistently adventurous and world cinema conscious branch of the Academy with nominating not only Alfonso Cuaron, but Polakowski for Cold War. So I think that this year, Bong Joon-ho stands in, I hope, an excellent chance of getting nominated for director. It's exciting to see. It's exciting to think about. And I think of the contenders that have emerged so far, for me, Parasite does sort of stand pretty high above them. Parasite is a lot of fun in a way that, you know. What other director this year has his own beer coming out? That's true that there's going to be a Bong Joon-ho branded beer. Is it Bong joon Hops? I think oh, it is. I think it might nice. be. And so uh, maybe we'll crack open a few and give them a, give them a try. So thank you both for joining me. And I know that Parasite's movie we're going to be continuing to talk about from now until sometime next year. Thanks to producers Katie Cooper and Paige Heimson, our engineer Mike Heflin and LA Times Studios. And thank you to BET for the clip of Tyler Perry accepting the 2019 BET Awards Ultimate Icon Award. Listen to The Real on Apple, Spotify, at latimes.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your audio. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review.